In a world where God is dying, four heathens come to deliver the final nails in the coffin. From the depths of hell, Satan sends four puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists from the Middle East. Good evening, everyone. I'm, I'm the host of the Secular Jihadist podcast, Al Khalifa Faisal Mutar. And uh, uh, we have a wonderful guest, but let's start with the usual suspects of the show Yasmin Muhammad, the author of Confessions of an Ex Muslim. Hello, Yasmin. Hello, Faisal. You know, I actually, it took me a second to think about that because I usually answer Alhamdulillah, but I'm not going to say that. Kwayissa, I don't know. What do people say? Yeah, Kwayissa is good. Uh, it's, it's, more, right. it's more moderate jihadist answer. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. You say Alhamdulillah Darwin is what you say. That's what atheists say. So, anyway. Speaking of Darwin, we have Al-Rizvi, the author of The God Delusion. Uh, oh, of course, speaking well, of Darwin, God delusion, <laughs> that uh, you haven't done that for a while, the God delusion thing. Well, but, well I, anyway. I, I, I'm, I now have memory. Um, and uh, so Ali is speaking in Ohio, right? You're speaking at the Ohio end of the month? I am. I'm speaking at, at, at U of T um, uh, on September 21st uh, in Toronto, the University of Toronto. I'm also speaking in Cleveland, Ohio on September 29th. Uh, with the CFI in Ohio, so um, with the CFI or with CFI, with CFI. Oh, I see. I thought they're all CFI, like as in. The, what do you mean with what? How many CFIs? You are said there? with the CFI because I'm like as if there's like there are five people. <laughs> oh, did I? Did I? No, uh, no. Baruch Nazel, no, people. No, uh, and with us, as usual, Kofi. we have the Armin Navabi the leader of the Quds Force of the Iranian regime. Hello, Armin. Hi. <laughs> and he, he also happens to be the founder of Atheist Republic, the largest online platform for, for uh, free thinkers in the world, actually. Yeah, so. I'm more proud of that than starting the Quds Army. <laughs> yeah, the Army is pretty good. <laughs> and uh, with us, we have Machine. It's actually, we have, a, we have a story with Machine. I met her in Los Angeles with a mutual friend of ours who happens to also invite Yasmin to speak at in Los Angeles was Orly Peter. Uh, so we met, we met more than I think probably five, six times. Like every time I'm in LA, I happen to see Nosheen. And we also met when I think Asra was in Los Angeles as well, Asra Normani. Um, so I have got to know each other. And what's wonderful is that there was a there was a house party ish that uh, we had recently in Los Angeles, and Machine happened to share because I didn't know much about her story. All I know that she's a woman of color. Um, but after what else? Exactly. You need to know? What else? That's all exactly. that matters. But <laughs> that means everything you say should be taken as uh, so, the word of God. So uh, on that house party-ish that we had uh, at, the, at the patio, um, Nusheen happened to share her story that I found to be extremely inspiring. Um, and I think it, and then I told her like, oh, maybe you should come to our podcast and also introduce her to Dave Rubin. Hopefully he will reply soon when he gets back from Afghanistan because he's, he's joining the Taliban over there. 
I saw that he grew up, grew a beard and stuff, so he might probably have joined uh, Khadija Muhammad or Mullah Omar uh, when he's trying to blend in. He's trying to blend in. Um, so, so I mean, I probably know a bit about your story, but I want you to, I want it to come from you. So, let's start with with the beginning. Tell us, tell us more about yourself. What do you do? I mean, I know you're a professor at UCLA, but I think you are much more than just a title. So, I would like to, I think us and our audience like to know. What's, what, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for this really, really kind uh, introduction, Faisal. Yeah. Um, uh, I am a lecturer at UCLA right now, uh, but before coming to the United States, I used to work as a media monitor for an institution called BBC Monitoring. And what we did was uh, we monitored the media in Afghanistan. We translated news and we packaged it, summarized it, uh, so that we got a sense of how the people on the ground in Afghanistan responded to the political developments all the time. So that's what I used to do before. And that's where my interest in, in the media actually uh, comes from. Because when I was working there, I noticed that the way Afghans discussed um, their own country was very, very different from the way the media in the West discussed Afghanistan. So you could see a, a sort of a, a big gap between very different perspectives. Um, so that's what, what got me interested in sort of um, what we can do actually to use the media, the global media, which is now accessible, right? I mean, you can get, you can get, um, the media of the Arab world and, and Afghanistan and Iran, you can get it online. It's, it has never before been this accessible, actually, right? So we know exactly how the publics react to events, right? And, and that gives you sort of a straight line to, to the mental landscape, let's say, of the region. So that was my background before I started, uh, becoming a lecturer here in the United States. But I also published a book because between uh, getting my position as a lecturer and uh, BBC monitoring, I used to write about Afghanistan for The Guardian. That's what you have been uh, referring to earlier, right? I used to write articles. Yeah. So that evening when when we were all there at Oli's place, uh, what happened was, um, and I think this is what happened to all of you, right? So we had such strange lives. Um, we had seen so much sort of serious existential drama in our lives um, that, that, that to make sense of it and draw the right conclusions from it uh, is it's a, it's a tough thing. It's not easy. And um, as I have been thinking a lot about sort of how to make sense of my life, the fact that I was born in Afghanistan and that my childhood um, happened when when we had a Marxist Marxist Leninist coup d'état in a in a super conservative Muslim country, and and the fact that then Afghanistan became the place that inspired the current waves of jihad globally, right? Because Afghanistan was the first successful story of jihad in the Muslim world, the first time that Muslims beat. An empire, right? A, an infidel Western empire, the Soviet empire. This is the story that inspired thousands of people. 
And anyone who is a, a name in the terrorist scenes, they all have their forefathers in the 1980s in Afghanistan. The people well, the, inspired the very them. The word Mujahideen, Mujahideen is derived from jihad. Exactly. So, you know, Mujahideen who were heroes, Ronald Reagan called them heroes. He uh, did, back that's in the true. 80s. Absolutely, yeah. Right. At that time, uh, there, there were actually people who waged jihad. So. Uh, that was the first generation. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's, and, and then my family, we became refugees in, in Germany. And I was educated in Germany. Uh, and then I left for postgraduate studies to the United Kingdom. And I ended up in, in, in the Anglo-Saxon world. So I, I have seen and experienced a lot. And, um, and I was trying to make sense of all my experiences that evening when I was talking. And, and I realized that that yes, we need to stand up for the achievements of the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you, can you give us a, a just timeline? When did you leave um, so Afghanistan? That was, and... So we left in 1988, uh, mm -hmm. which was already kind of, you know, the war was continuing and the, the war had started in 1978. Uh, so so right. it was already, you know, so, and, um, and, um, but the outcome was not yet clear whether it was the, what was going to be the Mujahideen who were going to win, which is, which is actually what happened. But what's really interesting uh, about that is that um, in that period in history, the, the left fought the Islamists, right? The Afghan regime was a leftist secular regime. And, yes. and the Mujahideen were the Islamists who fought them. And the West was allied with the Mujahideen, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the other way around. Yeah. It's completely different from how it is now. Exactly. And now <laughs> yeah. we, see, we see a very different picture, which is very puzzling. So, um, and, and, and sort of, you know, I, I, I thought about that and I thought we shouldn't forget that chapter in history. Um, because this was the beginning of, of, of everything that came afterwards uh, in terms of encouraging people to join jihad and do it globally. The fact that they had tested victory, right, in Afghanistan, and then the price that Afghans paid. And then sort of the repercussions for Iran, for example, and for Pakistan, and, and also, of course, uh, Iraq and all the other countries. Um, so... That chapter in history, um, which is which is something we should remember when the left brings it up, right? You know, let's not criticize uh, the Middle East. It's their culture. We shouldn't talk about it because there is the this part of their history that they would rather forget, huh? Yeah, there mm -hmm. is. And your book is called Afghan Rumor Bazaar. Yes. And so th what's the story behind that title? The story is that I was very eager to find out the truth in Afghanistan. And um, I dare say, again, you know, with a history like ours, we just can't free ourselves fully from where we came from because the place that hurts you is the place that you're interested in, right? So, um, and I was, I, was, I was deeply interested in figuring out what's going on in Afghanistan. And what I realized was that all you got was stories. That, that, that there was no way you could verify the truth. You just got many different versions of stories about the same thing. And they changed so, so uh, rapidly 
um, that that sort of there was no relationship between reality and and how reality was represented. So it was a bit like Arabian Nights, you know, sort of people right. people embellished uh. stories, and when they embellished it, it was in order to to make a point, right, to illustrate a, a moral, let's say, a moral point of view. Uh, so that's why rumor, because rumor, rumor reveals a lot in a society. It also reveals wishful thinking, for example. So Nishina, I have a question. Yes, absolutely. Go Sorry. Ahead. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. I, I missed what you said there. The rumor can be an example of wishful thinking, or wishful dreaming. Uh, for example, when I was there in 2011, Afghans were very, very determined that the Americans were not going to leave. And I was telling them, look, you know, they are planning to leave. And that's what they are discussing abroad. You know, and when you're in the West, you can see them. That's why they actually voted for Obama in order to make sure the troops come back home. Oh, no, no, they're, they're, they're here because we have natural treasures. We have minerals and that's what they're after. And, and that's why they will stay here. They have invested so much. So I, I, I realized later studying rumors a bit more that actually this is what they hope. They do wish and hope that, that the Americans stay. And you have these like crazy stories where like people would say, my grandma saw American troops digging into the ground and looking for, uh, natural treasures. I mean, that's like an impossible story, obviously. So to, to be clear to the audience, what you're saying is that it seems like an accusation when they were saying it, that they're going to stay, but it wasn't like, oh, they're never going to leave. But actually, it wasn't an accusation. It's it's an in, inside the, and it was actually a hope. So it's, they made it sound like an accusation. Okay, yes, be absolutely. Clear. Because a lot of people, obviously, you know, the economy took off for a lot of people because they had sort of a whole service industry, translators, you know, taxi drivers, the needs of the foreign troops. And then, of course, the whole uh, international community representatives that came to Afghanistan, they, uh, who knew economy grew out of it, right? So obviously, and, and that the two were connected. It was somewhat uh, artificial in that sense. So obviously people, so they, not everyone they're wanted them gone. hypocritical, aren't they? Like, oh, the West shouldn't intervene, but then they secretly hope that they do intervene. But that's a story everywhere in all of these places. And like there, there's this in, in Iraq, the West intervened, so they destroyed everything. In Syria, they backed off a little bit and they should have gone in. In Libya, they kind of went half-assed. There's, there's always, uh, whether they go in or whether they don't, uh, the, the thing is over there, I, I think it's a consequence of people over there not having the choice. Well, they can't vote. They don't choose their own fate. They're always under dictatorships. They're always being told what to do. So uh, they're, they're, it's all outcome-based. When the outcome is bad, you go retrospectively and you need to find something else to blame because you're not given that responsibility. You didn't have any choice in it, right? People um, here do that too, though. People yeah, here do they the do. exact same thing. Yeah. They do, but over there it's like an epidemic. It's, uh, I mean, and, and it's, it's you can't, you can't blame them for it either. You know, there's like Musadda yeah, in the. <laughs> no, I mean in the yeah, in the can. sense in the sense that, um, like for instance, in in Iran, right? You had 1953, the British and the CIA got together and they overthrew the democratically elected Mohammad Musadda, right? So that's a very famous thing. Obama later went and apologized for it many many years later. He did, but that was, huh? He, he apologized. Yeah, he he apologized for it when he oh, was Obama. Elected. Obama apologized case, for so many things. Uh, I have kind of less 
he apologized for a lot of things. But uh, but I mean, that, that one was actually merited because that really so that was an actual conspiracy that everybody talked about and then it didn't happen. But now when Iranians, when they talk about conspiracies, they're like, there's this conspiracy. And when you tell them, you're like, you're crazy. This is not a conspiracy. And they're like, oh, yeah. What about 1953? And then you don't know what to say because that was an actual real thing that happened. So that confounds it even but, more. This is but when, when Iran invaded Iraq, when the United States invaded Iraq, I remember in my school, all the kids, this was before what they saw happen to Iraq after. But before they saw, they were like, we are next. We are next. We are going to be like, they were hoping that they're going to, the United States is going to come and liberate them next. That was what, so they have the Mossadegh story, but they also hope yeah. that the United States would, would have come and liberated them from the Amullahs. That, that's a contradiction. Every Pakistani, every Pakistani wants a green card to go to the U.S. They all go on lottery. They, they will leave their entire families and they'll come to America with a green card and never go back. But when they come to America, you know, like how much they hate Pakistan's America and how it's no better than the world. This place People oh, become nationalists, huh? When they come abroad, they become nationalists again. It's really they interesting. Do. They do. It's, it's, a, it's all about identity, you know? So, Nishin, I wanted to ask you about your journey for truth that you, were, that you mentioned. So you said you wrote your book because you were looking for the truth and you found all these rumors and nobody's really giving a full story. And so as you were going through this journey, I, I want to ask you what, the, what you discovered in the end, because you did mention that you want us to um, to stand up for Western values. So is that was was that like the conclusion of your of your journey? It it took a long time. So it wasn't it wasn't that straightforward. As you all know, you know, when, when you take that path, it's, it's a really bumpy road and it's back and forth. Um, what I realized with Afghanistan was that that um, that basically the story was super, super complex. And yes, that um, Afghans were very much involved naturally because that's their country, uh, that they were very much involved in what was happening in the country too. And it wasn't true that it's only the West to be blamed, right? That Westerners make mistakes. They made mistakes, but they made mistakes sort of with the help of Afghans, let's say, who were working with them, right? So, and, and the sense of detachment for, from, so it, it, to me, it appeared that they really had no sense of, responsibility for what was going on in Afghanistan. And it might be because they were overwhelmed. I don't know. I give you an example. So they, they, people often complain that the government is corrupt, right? Sentence one, this government is so incredibly corrupt. C correct. True. And then two minutes later, they would say, my cousin is in the government. Right? <laughs> so, and, and yeah. they didn't connect yeah. the two that, yes, you know, you are also part of this government, basically. And I'm going to ask my cousin for help. Absolutely. And actually, that was showing off, you know, that was showing off. I have someone in the government. And, you know, before that, it was like, this is a very corrupt. So I felt like they really lost the sense of they have any say, any any kind of um, agency, to be honest. Yeah. And in, in what was going on, but they were very much responsible. Um, kind of, you know, security, for example, I think Afghanistan could have been a lot more secure, but we have, we, people are fatalistic. So the the, yeah, the approach. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's an Islam thing. I can give you a concrete concrete example. So two things that Westerners never noticed. I think they noticed, but they couldn't talk about it because they feared they would be called racist. Um, and that has to do with security and terrorism. So um, one is that that people are very polite. We have an informal, warm culture. 
just like in the Arab world, right? You have the, the, the brutal side, but you also have the very warm and kind of friendly and, uh, and familiar side of culture, which, which Westerners often notice when they go there. They're overwhelmed. Like, oh, these people are so warm. They immediately welcome you. So, so that side was evident, uh, for example, when we had checkpoints where women were searching the bags. In one case, it was a very famous intercontinental hotel. And, and the, the women who were checking the bags, then that was in the summer. So that's, that's the season of war. So she first refused to, one of them was pregnant to begin with, right? Um, one of them was pregnant. The other one was, I think, her mom. And they were watching TV. And when I gave them my bag, they said, Oh, sister, don't worry. I'm not going to look because we know what you have in your bag. We know what women have in their bags. Uh, it's lipstick and stuff. And, and she was just being kind and being polite, right? So I, I begged her. I said, look, please do check. I want you to check my bag. So she did, but not really thoroughly, right? And then uh, we went to the second checkpoint. So if you were a jihadi, you could have learned from that situation. Totally. And, <laughs> and, and that hotel came under attack like two days later. And ISAF had to be sent, you know, helicopters. And then, so the second checkpoint, again, we are all friendly because, because people have to help each other, right? Just like in, in, in the Arab world, you become close and you help each other because there are no institutions to help you. The state is your enemy. So people try to help each other as much as they can, and they hope that they will get something later from you, right? So we get to the second checkpoint, and he says, well, you know, you're not allowed to, to come in because you're not officially here. And my friend and I were there. We said, oh, look, you know, this was where we used to play as kids, and we have sentimental memories, and can you let us in? He said, okay, tell them you're here for a meeting. Just tell them that because there was a meeting underway, and he let us in. So that was sort of complete breach of security. And of course, we, we joined in, right? Like we, we happily went in. And then two days later, the hotel came under attack and I was not at all surprised. So I went to the manager of the hotel where we were staying, which was, which had like huge windows. Um, so it was a, and, and, and Western journalists stayed there. So that was prime, prime kind of, you know, like, target for terrorists and the manager was um he was very very happy he had he he could move to canada he had realized so he was very happy so so and i tell him look you know we just had an attack what should we do in case there is an attack here because you see we have all these windows and he says oh yeah we have a door that leads us to the next building i think it was unhcr or something so I said, can you show me this, this door? Oh, okay. So reluctantly, he comes with me and he puts the key and he turns and he turns and he turns. <laughs> Nothing. The door is locked. So, and obviously no one has checked the door, right? For, for ages, they just assumed it works. Turns out it's not working. So I said, well, it's not working. He said, well, you can kick the door. And it was like a metal door, right? And and you, you have, you don't know, I'm a, I'm a small woman, you know, I'm, 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 I'm short. I'm, I'm not a small woman. I'm not a strong woman. So I'm like, there's no way I can kick this door. He said, well, if you're supposed to die, you're going to die anyway. Oh, yeah. See, I told you that's an Islamic thing. Yes. So that's yeah. like this fatalistic, which 
I think it, it has a positive side. I mean, I'm not going to just say this is just insane. I think, yes, accepting death as a fact of life is a great thing. Right? In, in the West, we don't have that. In the West, we have pushed, pushed death out of the public sphere. We only get it stylized in crime dramas. But, but that death is a reality. People never experience it, right? It's, it's in the hospital and it's pushed out of the public sphere. So I, I do like the fact that in Islam, it's taken completely for granted that death is part of life and you have to accept it when it comes. Just a happy medium would be nice. <laughs> yes, exactly. In that context, it was completely, uh, you know, it was very counterproductive. Plus, I told them, look, these people are Westerners, you know, they don't believe in faith. They don't believe in that. So you have to do something about them, right? So, but you know, I mean, it was no longer this concern. And, and, and that's sort of, and I think you, you can't survive, uh, in Afghanistan unless sort of you become really, really accepting of anything. But, mm -hmm. uh, so that's the kind of thing you don't read about, right? Uh, how people themselves are somewhat complicit in, in the worsening of, of the security, um, situation. And it is because the culture, the wonderful side of culture, warmth and familiarity, uh, trust kind of it becomes counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Armin, you had a question you said um, yeah, earlier, right? I had a devil's advocate question because you, you you mentioned that you know we Ar say Armin's our resident devil's advocate. Sometimes that's very good. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you mentioned like the we uh, we we need to recognize you know the greatness of the West and the things that they have achieved. But what if somebody says, well, this is what the West does for itself. Everywhere else, it causes, um, you know, they don't, these are the values that they want for themselves, but everywhere else, they put in power dictators, they cause wars, they go and take advantage of people's resources, and they play games and put forces, you know, different uh, proxies against each other and take advantage of people. So yes, they, they're great for their own nations, but uh, they cause all you know, all these problems. Yes, we are responsible for some of these problems too. But the West also takes oh, wait, advantage. They, of they don't say that. Who says that? I'm Who trying says to we're be a strong devil's advocate, <laughs> no. not like a weak devil's okay. advocate. Yeah. So uh, let me. Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I don't say that the West is great. That's you know I don't say that. But definitely of every other kind of model of running a country we have available to us where we can draw comparisons, uh, it's very obvious that the way the West is run is for now, like as far as we understand, you know, give, it, this is the most humane way be because they not only take care of their own people, but they can also take in other people like us, right? The ones who lose their own country because of war, the refugees. So, and, and this kind of, and, and, and you can be a complete stranger. No one has ever met you. That kind of trust that they let in, you know, like a million, two million people and accept it and say, okay, we are going to deal with this, right? When that comes, when countries in other parts of the world do the same thing, then I'm ready to say, okay, we are all great, right? Arabs don't even take in other Arab refugees. Yes. So, you know, I don't think that we have the moral high ground 
to make these kind of claims so and, and say that the West is evil or the West is the only place that is evil. Uh, everywhere is evil. But the evil that I've seen in the rest of the world by far surpasses what you see here, let's say. Yeah, there's also this... Uh... I mean, uh, just this idea that, again, it's a whole damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. So, you know, what you have is you have all of these these dictators in all of these countries. So on one hand, you don't want the West to intervene. You don't want them to come in and, and do things. Uh, on the other hand, like if they if they start supporting indigenous sort of democratic rebellions or pro-democracy rebellions, then that can backfire as, you know, they were careful in 2009 with the Iran revolution. You know, they were very careful on supporting because they said that if the moment we say we support the rebels, everyone's going to unite against America, right? So there's that issue. Um, and at the same time, they do they do have to work with these countries. They have to trade. They have to have diplomatic relations. So it's actually really, um, it, it's it's a juggling game. And it's, it's not the kind of thing I think anybody can be happy with when you have well, one superpower is trying to deal with it. Yes, everybody. I know, because it sh I mean, it should, I mean, when these people, some some people point out that these countries pretend to be human rights like champions of the world, but then they go and support Saddam, and then they go support Sisi, and then they go support... Yeah, but if we could just stop for a second, because I think what Nusheen said was really important. Like, everybody in this podcast right now is an immigrant to the West. I mean, I personally am not, but my parents were. So just that in and of itself, I think, is a good counter argument. Right, because we devil. realize that, the, that that those countries will never get the benefits from the West unless you are in the West. The West can't. The West is not the world's police. The world is well, it's not the world's yes, father. Yes, but they pretend if to be. If people want to make changes in their own countries, then it's their responsibility to make changes in their own country. Nobody came and helped America well, that's become America. They became America for well, themselves. That's the point. That's the point, though. They, well, they, the the slaves they, helped a lot. Actually, you can't. Yeah. They say they they shouldn't police, but then they do come and police, and they put people like um, Saddam and you know the the Saudis are basically American puppets. Actually, they took Saddam out. No, actually. they aren't. So that there, I completely uh, disagree. And one thing, right. if I may, if I may, sort of add is that. That in, you know, like when I was growing up in Afghanistan and even later in Germany, I really didn't have a proper sense of what the West was about, right? So, so, but we don't get, we, we, we get basically the, the leftist narrative of the West. That's the issue, right? We only get sort of a, a, a we get a truth. Imperialist. Yeah, yes, yeah. which is true, but it's not the full picture. It's only a slice of the truth. It's only a slice of the truth. For example, one thing that, that we completely ignore is the, the concept of philanthropy in the West, right? The fact that charity is very, very strong here and, 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 and that whenever there is a disaster, people volunteer to help. That in the West, actually, when you, when you kind of speak up and say, there is this problem, people say, how can we help you, right? Mm -hmm. They say, how can we help you solve this problem? And they are engaged in that. Like even animals are looked way, way, you know, they're looked after very well here, right? And, and, and sort of the, the philanthropy that, that you encounter in the West, the kindness that, that is there towards the strangers. And, and that is also the left, right? That is also the left. I don't want to bash them entirely. I think, you know, certain things, yes, I'm grateful to them for the fact that, that they always stand up for our rights. Right. Well, yeah. Reason, science, rationality, um, education. A lot of these things are um, 
you know, I mean, that's what they mean by progressive. You know, that's, yes. that's what they're doing. And, so and, and you know, we, we have found cures for, for many, many illnesses, right? Actually, the world is a much better place than it has been when you compare it to, to uh, you know, a hundred years ago. It's way, way, way better, right? It's a much better place to live in. And, and, and sort of, but, but the image that is projected is, is of a terrible place. Uh, and, and that's because it doesn't live up to something that people imagine, right? An ideal that they imagine. Some utopia that doesn't exist. To, to your point, actually, we're talking on Google Hangouts and, and Skype, which are American products. And these ideas are spreading all over the world because of American products. But I think the key is for people not to talk about the West as if it's just one entity. There's, you know, the West has so many different things and there's good and bad things. But one thing, again, to your point is that whenever there's a natural, na a natural disaster, whenever there's a disease outbreak, it's usually countries like the United States where they first arrive there. And those are the countries that usually the, 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 the last ones to leave, right? No matter where it happens. Yeah. So, so the concept of philanthropy is something that is kind of, you know, is completely kind of brushed under the carpet. Plus the fact that now, since the end of World War II, like the, 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 it's not only people who, who, who go to the West in search of better lives. We also, you know, take in people who flee political oppression. So, you know, there's a lot of goodness going on here, a lot of goodwill. And, and for me, I think it's very troublesome that we keep nagging, right? We never say thank you. Mm -hmm. Right. So we never say thank you. We appreciate that not everybody is an, uh, ungrateful and just says, hey, you could do better. Right. So I was fed up of being put into the role of, of sort of someone who is used to guilt trip Westerners. Oh, I totally hear that from like the bottom of my heart. I get that. I went through that exact same process as you. And I had sort of when, when a broadcaster sent me an email and they, you know, it was at the time when we had, of course, you know, the, the problem of terrorism was becoming very evident uh, in Europe. And, 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 and the way people tried to play down was to guilt trip Westerners and say, hey, you know, we have bomb attacks in Iraq every day and you are never, you never say anything, right? Sort of to, to divert the attention away. And, and when I had that email, I, I, I told, I just, I couldn't bring myself to guilt to people. And also, like, I mean, just to add, I mean, many of these people are really hypocrites, right? It's like, so, when, so, like, for example, there is an explosion in Iraq almost every week, right? And many of these people don't put, like, the Iraqi flag in solidarity or anything. They only do that when there is a terrorist attack happening in the West, and then they tell the people, why aren't you worried about the attack in Iraq? And now, because, I mean, I, I've been dealing with this for quite a while. It's like, oh, so now you are giving more coverage to the attack in Barcelona or London, but you're not giving to Baghdad. But even though there was, like, 20,000 terrorist attacks in Baghdad for the past 10 years, and you never change your profile picture or anything, but the moment it became the West, and, and then, like, they say that New York Times or the BBC are covering the attack in the West. They're like, oh, how about Iraq? How about this? How? So, like, and the thing is, like, what I think some of it is really sadistic is that they are really looking for that terrorist attack to happen in a Muslim country so they can, like, see, did it, told you so, see, like, they don't care. Like, it's just like they are 
Oh, like yeah. they are just waiting. Like it's like the terrorist attack happening in the West. I was like, okay, when when Al Qaeda is gonna attack Afghanistan or whatever, like Iraq or whatever, then they're like, oh, why don't you care about the attack in Iraq? Even though there was one in Iraq last week, but I'm not, I didn't talk about it or even cared or even shared. But I just want to make the point that the gold the West is a, is, is very hypocritical, and in my opinion, is quite immoral because they don't see. The thing is, like, they don't care about the lives of the people that they claim to be caring about, right? Yeah, because when was the last time they cared about the people that were dying from in Darfur? Or when was the last time they cared about people in Yemen? So we have different classes of victims, right? So it's not like all victims of victims. If you're killed by Americans, you're, you're victim number one. You know, you're, you're the victim that would be, you know, everybody. Or, or, or the Israelis, actually, because in Darfur, what happened in Darfur was you had uh, black Muslims uh, 500,000 of them that were killed by Arab Muslims, right? Which is like Omar al-Bashir. And uh, that didn't really matter. But, you know, I mean, that was way more, many magnitude times more than the death toll that you have of uh, Palestinians that are killed in it, 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 it uh, by Israelis. And, um, but but that is a big deal because the person who's dealing, doing the killing is Israel, right? Or the country that's doing yeah, the killing. Yeah, that, that's Israel. the top so, one. Exactly. Like Israel and then followed by by America, and and then uh, if if there is any other kind of Western country, France, maybe France is number three. <laughs> if only Assad was Jewish, everybody would be worried about what's happening in Syria. The entire Muslim world would go in. So exactly, exactly, which which shows you that it's it's a political game, and it's not well, about it victims. Is, yeah. It's 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 using guilt tripping. Now I always it's using it, uh, yeah. exactly, and I tell people because they try to guilt trip me. They think, well, Nushin is a liberal. That means we can guilt trip her because they can guilt trip Western liberals, right? Um, so I always say, you know, Jesus Christ didn't die for me. So you, <laughs> you can't well, guilt Speaking trip of me. Jesus Christ, <laughs> well, I, so I wanted to ask, I mean, I heard uh, uh, Thomas Friedman was a you know New York Times columnist who everybody seems to have a problem with, which is why I like yeah, him a lot because he seems very good, reasonable to me. When people, when everybody has a problem with a person, you have to read their books. Uh, there you go. See, that's that's right. So Thomas Friedman actually said something once uh, where he was talking about how with the element of envy in the Muslim world. So there is, you know, I, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I know in the papers over there, you could not say anything negative about the government. So the only thing that people read, and at that time you didn't really have the internet. So all they were reading was, you know, Israel this and the US that and this and this. So those are the only two things that they thought were a problem. Nobody ever read any issue with the, the Saudi Roa family. So there's that kind of brainwashing. But then on top of that, he said something else. He said that, you know, a lot of uh, people in the Muslim world, they think that they've got the most updated version of the truth. And they've got Islam. Islam is 3.0. Christianity was 2.0. Judaism was 1.0. So why is 1.0 doing so well, 2.0 doing so well, and then 3.0? We're like the updated upgrade, and, and we're getting screwed over all over the place. So we have to do something about it. Is Do you think, I mean, I know that's a very simplistic way of stating it, and I'm, but I just thought it was an interesting idea just in terms of uh, do, do you think there is a, a, a sense of uh, grievance that we have been ripped off or in the Muslim world that, you know, we've been ripped off. We've got the right version of the truth. Why are we not doing it? Like, you know, Obama comes to Cairo, does a speech, you know, people are like, wow, my, so my brother's name is Hussein and Obama's middle name is Hussein. You know, we have the same name. The guy has a similar skin tone to me. 
You know, his father was from Kenya, which is a poorer country than me. How come he's president of the U.S. and I've got 70% unemployment in my country? Like when, when they see things like that, do you think that aspect of uh, in the Muslim world and, and even the religion aspect, do, do, how much of a role do you think that has? Well, the, 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 oh, there are so many, you know, you had so many questions in one question and they're all so interesting. So I try to answer them. Oh, I'm sorry. Better. No, yeah. that's good. No, so let's try that. Um, I think I was more ranting as well as part of the question. I do believe that, uh, you know, so I do believe that, that a part of the sort of expectation, uh, in the Muslim world to, to do better than they are doing, which is a great expectation, right? Why not? You know, you want to do better. That's a good thing. Um, but, but it's rooted in the fact that it used to be an empire, right? And, and when you look at the Ottoman Empire, and I mean, they, they didn't, they didn't even take no, you know, they were, they were not frightened of Europe while Europe was, 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 uh, becoming modern, right? They were not frightened of them. They were like, why? We are the Ottoman Empire, right? Why should we be worried about these guys? And by the time they realized, oh God, we have some catching up to do, right? It was already mm -hmm. more or less too late. So the, the imperial history is a fact that, that informs the way people feel about themselves, right? There's nostalgia about the glorious right. lost lost glory. The fact that yeah, we had the caliphate. That yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a yeah. Sunni thing, though, not a Shiite. Um, that is true. That is true. But but the sense that is absolutely true. I haven't felt it with the Shia, but with the Shia, they're more obsessed with justice and and getting their version of Islam also globalized. Um, that's kind of, you know, the, the, the latest mission, it seems. That's actually one thing a lot of people don't know. When Ahmadinejad used to go around talking about wiping out Israel, like in reality, he knows that if he does a strike on Israel, well, this is back when Ahmadinejad was in power, but even, even now, they know if they do a strike there, they're going to kill loads of Palestinians. They know it's suicidal. The retaliation will totally destroy them. But the reason he says it is because People who've lived in the Arab world, I know there's Arab dictators like in Egypt and Saudi Arabia. They they would be completely, they wouldn't say anything against Israel publicly, right? They wouldn't openly say it. But the people over there did not like Israel. So when they hear Ahmadinejad say it, they're like, that leader's got balls. Our guy doesn't. And then, so he, the the whole Shia and the Persian influence, that, you know, that that's, he gets more solidarity but that, but he, from Arab well, he citizens, right? He doesn't get solidarity right? from Iranian people, which... Hated the no, not from, not from Iranian. He's a hero in the Arab world. From Arabs, That's true. the broader Arabs, right? So it's it's more of a it's more of a messaging and a propaganda thing. And these are really complex, sort of like Persian, Shia, Sunni, Persian, Arab, uh, uh, all of these dynamics that play together that are very difficult for the the average person but, in the West to understand. But don't don't try to sell Ahmadinejad as somebody that is knew what he was doing. No, oh, no, no, I, that's, it, I'm not saying you're defending him, but he's yeah. he was in a, like right now he's alone. Like he doesn't have the religious people backing him or the left backing him everybody is against him in iran he's actually can't even go uh, no, visit. I, i'm talking about he's overall. arresting oh, his supporters yeah. he can't even go visit them he's like he's really bad at tactics mm -hmm. no i think i i was saying overall like the kind of he rhetoric that comes out of iran. Yeah, well that is true because because yeah. that's a regime that has yeah. nothing to lose right so yeah but that but, but I, I would argue i would argue that kind of backfired like backfired especially during the syrian civil war when Iran started getting more involved in supporting Assad and Hezbollah get more involved in supporting Assad and considering that Assad's main victims, I mean, he has many victims, but a large significant number of them happen to be Sunni Muslims. And what happened is that 
Iran's reputation now in the at least in the Sunni Arab world. I mean, if you look at the Shia Iraqis, they're probably many of them are pro Assad and pro Iran. But but if you look at Sunni Sunnis from all across the region, they hate Iran right now mainly because for supporting the guy who supporting the guy who kills the Sunnis. I mean the the propaganda against. Man, I mean, I, I mean one of the Shia things is anyway. like the, Sunnis just hate Shias in general. Uh, yes, yes. So they hate the Shia plus the Shia is killing Sunnis. Uh, so that's kind of like, uh, so like even Al Jazeera, for example, which is not in any sense a moderate channel, but there have been shows that explicitly calls for killing Shias. Like, I mean, the, the, so it's not like, it's, it's no longer, it's no longer just like hidden terms that they use about like, El Safawiyun, like the, 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 the Safawites. And no, it's like the Shias need to be killed. Like you have somebody who's like, a show with a suit and a tie, and he's like, as Shias need to be killed. Like, and this is very recent. I mean, I, I've been watching Al Jazeera for quite a while, but to see them, like, not to see them, but to see some of their hosts or some of their people explicitly calling for death of Shias is kind of, especially Iranians, um, it's kind Iran, of very modern. Iran has done Sorry? well, though, to. Iran has done very well, though, recently to spread it. They have. They have. I mean, I mean, they have won. Um, but uh, but that's not credit. The, the but to Faisal's point, there at one point, like Hamas and Hezbollah and the Palestinians were supporting them. Everybody supported the Palestinians. Or like Iran did really have they kind of the whole Assad thing has sort of shifted the balance. Um, Iran is now bit. in full control so. of Iraq. Unfortunately, soon they will have control over Syria. They have a lot of control in Lebanon. They're trying to get more control in Yemen. And this is no thanks to the presidency. People think that the foreign minister of Iran is the person in charge of the foreign army. It's the Sepahe Pasaran. It's the revolutionary guard that does anything without the permission of the president and directly reports to the Khamenei himself. None, nothing the prime minister, foreign minister says really matters when it comes to the uh, Middle Eastern policies of Iran. Mm-hmm. That's just the show thing. So let's move back to Nushin. How about if we move this right. conversation can I, can more I towards say, can, can I say something a about what Nushin said? Because most of our, you guys are digging really deep down. To bring it back to what Yas is saying, um, to, to her point, like, you know, when I have been stopped in the airport for random screening um, around 13 times now. And I don't know if it's just my luck or is it profiling, but I posted this on Facebook and a lot of people were like, oh, this is wrong, this is racism. And I, and I had to respond, like, listen, if I go back to Iran, they'll hang me, okay? Canada is a country that welcomed me with open arms. You know, I'm a Canadian citizen now, and it was so easy. And now I'm living here, you know, this was this is a country that I owe so much to. And I'm not going to start complaining about 30 seconds of having to go through a machine uh, which is actually kind of cool anyways, to that in the airport. And that's not, you know, that's, you know, when, where I, when the country that I was born in will never welcome me back, when a country that I was born in is going to hang me for just having a different opinion. I mean, compared but don't to you feel that, sad so, though? I mean, I mean, sorry so, to interrupt. Like, like for example, I mean, I've been, it's weird. I have not been stopped in the airport many times, probably three times maximum. Uh, but I kind of feel, felt a bit disappointed because considering that like most of my work is really about countering terrorism and fighting these 
idiots like Al-Qaeda and stuff to be kind of treated as a potential extremist because of the way I look also feels a bit bad. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this. I understand the reasons why they're doing it. I understand that many people who are Iraqis, not many, but like some Iraqis are members of ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all these terrorist groups. But it kind of feels sad that you get profiled even though you are... Yes, it feels sad, but it's less sad than hanging from a rope. No, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not comparing, but that's, but that's a kind of low standard. It's but like, that doesn't make it good. Is yeah, what I mean, saying. You're, you're saying, yeah. for example, well, rape in the West is not as bad because the woman can report it here and in, in Iran, they cannot report it. But, I mean, but what do you expect though? Like what, I understand that you're saying it feels sad, but if you look at it from another point of view, like I understand that it's sad, but what is the answer? I think, I mean, obviously I, Muslims are the ones that are killing people across the planet daily. Actually, actually, so there may for, not be. I mean, I get stopped at the airport all the time and I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I think there, it's, there, I think it's pretty random. There may not be a profiling. Even if it, even if it uh, weren't Yeah, I think random, it's random as well. It's not I, I something think it's random. that I would fault them for. Yeah, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not faulting them. I mean, I think, inshallah, maybe in the future, there will be kind of more developed systems to kind of they know who they are looking for and maybe... But you can change, and, right? No one can huh? see that the problem. The problem is like, I mean, I mean, uh, the sort of what the problem is with with sort of this idea that okay, we know these people are fighting against extremism and we shouldn't treat them like that. But hey, so a human being, no one can can see in the heart of a human being. And what if you change overnight, right? Something happens and you change your mind, right? So this is like the human but, being. But how likely? How lucky you think that, for example, how lucky you think that you they, they wouldn't take that uh, that risk, right? That's my thinking. That that they wouldn't yeah. take that. But but how? St- statistically, somebody named Faisal Said Al Mutar is probably going to be more they problematic know, than but... you know. Obviously, there's jihadi John. Like you know, it's. I'm just talking about statistics. But I get upset. You know why I get somebody upset? W- I think they're so misguided. Like every time I go to the United Kingdom and, and they check, like, lo- they have to, so last time I went by Dublin and they had a different rule. So they, they said, you know, put your liquids in a plastic bag. I put my liquids in a plastic bag. Turns out that they have changed the definition of liquid. So they wanted things like lipstick and cream and that's not liquid, right? So I nearly got into a linguistic fight with them. Like, have you changed the meaning of liquid? <laughs> so uh, you know what you know what to do. Them. The best thing to do is when they're patting you down, just say, while they're patting you down, just smile at them very nicely, and then say, "Oh, now I've got liquids in my <laughs> pants." That was a very crude joke. I'm really sorry. I had, but you guys oh are laughing. God, so wow. How could oh I avoid it? That's, you have to. You guys, all of you would have made that joke. Never mind. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that coming out of nowhere from Ali. Guys, pay attention. So the point is that they pay attention to, you know, they, the, the, the perfume, da, 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 but down the road, the radical imam is preaching freely. Right, and 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 sort of the radical yeah. leader is is invited to the BBC and and given yeah. a platform, yeah. you know, like this Anjum Chaudhry guy who finally, you know, he used to be like always on the BBC, and and yeah. now he's Let's in give prison. billions of dollars to the Muslim Brotherhood, but make sure you take off your shoes. Exactly. You so I see that the- that's the problem that they, they they look at this kind of stuff, but it's like the source 
where they enter people's minds and, and make them beautiful. Actually, I have a follow-up question on this because I think it's very important because you, I remember when we were at that dinner, you mentioned in the UK when you were living there, you had, the, I think, neighbors who were extremists or something. Oh, yeah, that's Abu Hamza was down the road. Yes, Abu Hamza was down the road. Do you know Abu Hamza? Okay, yes. Can you tell us about this story, yes, please? So yes, Abu Hamza was down the road and uh, he lived there. And and at the time, my my husband was, my, my now husband, then my boyfriend, he was leading a tour in Yemen. And uh, we had just met, I guess, you know, we were like, we had just met three months or something. So I was in the United Kingdom and he was in Yemen leading this tour. And he called me from there and he said, don't worry, when you switch on the TV, you will see there will be news of a kidnapping. But it wasn't us, it was the other company, the other tour company. They were the ones who were kidnapped. And it was, um, uh, so the story, you know, when he tells it, it's, it's really spooky because the, the only reason he wasn't kidnapped and his group wasn't kidnapped was because they were passing a vegetable grocery store and decided, let's stop here and get some vegetables for dinner. And while they were busy buying the, the you know, the, whatever, the, the falafels, the vegetables, they looked and they saw this other tour. They moved like they, they, and, and my husband says that he felt, he felt that something was wrong, kind of, you know, but he didn't know what it was. He, you know, he felt that I'm glad I'm not on that, in, in that car, something like that, but he didn't know what, what it was. So, and then later, so this, these poor people, they were, you know, the tourists are the one who, the ones who really love the Middle East, right? These are the people who are really interested in the Middle East. People laugh at them. People say, don't go to the Middle East. It's too dangerous. They said, no, we want to go. You're idiots. It's a nice place. You know, we love it there. So the tourists became, they, they come under attack, right? So that's one of the earliest examples. Anyway, so that tour group was kidnapped. And, uh, and then they soon realized that it was not the usual friendly tribal kidnapping. In the past, the tribes would kidnap you and feed you, you know, and be really nice to you, and and they just wanted attention, but they heard the that word mujahideen, wonderful. yeah. <laughs> so they realized they heard mujahideen, and they knew that's a completely different ball game, and and uh, it was a very sad story because people were killed. Oh wow! And that is you're talking about this guy Abu Abu so Hamza al-Masri, right? Uh, Abu Hamza, you know the hook, yeah. He had he had planned it in London. Wow. Like it was planned from London down the road from us. He uh, was like Finsbury Park. Yes, mom. exactly. He was the one who plotted it, and then the kidnapping took place, and 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 people were killed. Uh, also in the rescue mission, it was terrible, terrible, terrible. And of course, I couldn't believe it because I thought like I'd left Afghanistan behind, right, with all the terror and stuff. And hey, it was there again. Um, so, but we couldn't, in, in the UK, you couldn't get rid of Abu Hamza because of human rights. Yeah. But if he were in Egypt, they'd probably strip him of his citizenship and throw him in dark cell. Wait, how was he related to Finsbury? You mentioned Finsbury. Wasn't Finsbury was Park the, the attack? There, I think. Um, he was the imam there, yes. Oh, he was the imam. Long time ago, right? Okay, okay, okay. It was like... Right. Long time yeah, ago, yeah. yeah. That was sort of the kidnapping was in '98. Uh, is, yeah. is this is this the reason why you moved from the UK to the US? I mean, is that no, no? I mean, even though like we found out what happened and who Abu Hamza was, and the fact that like you couldn't touch him because of his human rights, uh, which is very funny, right? Like Abu yeah. Hamza has human when, rights. When did you when did you move to the US? 2008. So end of 2007, which is like 2008. Yeah. 
10 years. Oh, 2008. Okay. Yeah. We so, say uh, so it, took, coming... it took ages to, to click, you know, that because it was so confusing, Absolutely. right? Uh, yeah, that, that, you know, and also how to make sense of it, right? Because, um, because it was actually then finally the Americans extradited him. So thank goodness for that. Well done, America. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing, speaking of uh, well done, America, um, I wanted to, one question that I think a lot of listeners are going to want to know your perspective on specifically since, you know, you have such a global experience and, and you have all these wonderful insights is uh, about Donald Trump. Like the, the, this whole thing, how is that being, how do you think it's perceived in the places that you've worked with the people that you encounter? And um Oh yes, obviously you yeah. know in the in the ac academia people are horrified, right? Um, they are horrified and they think that America has taken a very bad turn, and and and, and, and sort of and, and they, they I think it's hard for people to understand how could this happen, right? right. Um, my sense is that um, the reason why people are wondering how could this happen is because we all have become we we don't share the same realities anymore and that's very dangerous and uh, we all i think in the past at least the media had this kind of um capacity to 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 create a shared representation of reality right where everybody shared in the same reality that you didn't experience firsthand but now it's so fragmented that people don't share the same reality and that's that's something that truly terrifies me because if you don't live in the shared reality and you don't know what half of your country thinks, and no, this how, is like echo chambers. Yes, and, yes. So and and what yeah, and how problem. half of the country feels, right? And the fact that it, it didn't occur to you that this was happening. So I think we all sort of you know have to have to upgrade our our worldview basically. What, and what is your what are your I, own I personal you. views on? Um, you see, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so taken aback because he's something so completely new, right? And we never had anything like him before. Uh, so to me, what he signals is that we have entered an age of, of unpredictability, right? So that's what, what this signifies. I think in terms of the choice, I think when, in times of crisis, people turn to figures of authority. Right, they feel more uh, secure when the person, when they see a, a leader who projects extraordinary self-confidence, and because he had no fear of of saying whatever came to his mind, right, um, that made him almost a hero, because everybody else was right. so so frightened, you know, thinking about every little word they say and how it might come across and. Don't want yeah, to yeah, say yeah. anything. So people, I think that I think they, I think some people voted for him just out of frustration because they were so fed up with not being able to say what they think. Yeah, and, and on the other hand, the other candidate was so calculated. And yes, so and they, they were so opposite. Clinton, like, they were so opposite in terms of I mean, with, like still... smooth, prepared, and and she is a super intelligent woman, right? So, like Hillary Clinton, is, and and she had a lot of political experience as well. So to me, it was like oh, interesting yeah. that someone who has sat at international meetings and, and you know, has been in politics all her life, um, that, that the, the mm -hmm. most experienced person lost it, right? And the completely inexperienced person right. won. And so do you think that was a mistake? I, 
I really don't know. I re- I, what I know is that, that there is this tendency in America to, to, to root for the outsider. So in, in that sense, it's a repeat of what happened when Barack Obama was uh, voted in, right? That, that they, they, that their sense of, of, they, they have this kind of romantic almost uh, desire to, to give the guy who's an outsider a chance. The, the candidate of change, right? The change, the change, and, and Trump was the change candidate while Hillary was the. Actually, but, I have a question for you. What, but just, but I just want to clarify this. So you think it was a change for the worse? Trump being elected or no? Well, it's, it's super hard to know because since he came to power, I mean, it's been so unstable. The, the, the environment, the atmosphere in America is so. T- I feel thing, isn't it? it is absolutely, and also that that it's very well, the last hard. seven months have been a f- disaster. Yeah, I have a problem that I really can't. Where do I go to find out what is really going on? Right, because the media is not playing their role, the role that they are supposed to play. Well, I mean, don't you? I that's probably the first thing I will disagree with you on. In this sense, I think that one of the things that happened with the Trump presidency is that a lot of the people in the media who are trying to play. You know, uh, they were trying to be very neutral instead of being objective, because there's a big difference between being neutral and being objective. And I, I think that uh, a lot of them are doing their jobs in the sense that now, you know, there are they are getting scoops on the White House. They're actually going in and doing actual investigative journalism. They're finding out all these things about Russia. There are, I mean, every time the New York Times reports something, he says it's fake news, and then. He fires somebody in his administration, which is what the New York Times predicted. So, like these things, I I think that um, it has kind of woken up uh, the public. It's woken up liberals who were so busy with their transgender pronouns that they had completely forgotten that, you know, the Barack Obama win wasn't a, a change. It was the first step in a very fragile process of progress. Let's um, hope and- so. Yeah, I see a little bit of that. I see the New York Times sort of becoming less narrow-minded, let's say. Like when mm-hmm. they, they yeah, have Barry Weiss that- and, and I mean, we have reached a time when, yeah. when, when, when someone writes something reasonable, we are relieved, huh? <laughs> and we praise it. We're like, oh my God, you know, and they should publish things like that every day. Actually, I have yeah, a follow-up no, I, I, I I follow that- question, if you don't mind. Which is related to your field. I mean, I, I like based upon my research. I mean, I, I, I'm not an academic in any sense, but I talk to lots of people, especially in the Middle East and stuff. And it is weird to say. I mean, my observation have been that many Middle Eastern seculars and liberals hate Hillary Clinton and Obama, and seem to favor Donald Trump. Is this similar to what you have seen in Afghanistan and Pakistan? And it's like it's. In Afghanistan, we always welcome whoever comes to power, right? So, so before Obama came to power, people made this carpet because his name. I mean, if you, uh, I mean, you speak Farsi, so Obama, right? He is with us. Oh wow! There is this fun <laughs> with Obama's name. He is with us in Farsi. So they had these these carpets with Obama, like Obama is with us. And, and they waited, we waited for three months to hear what was going on, you know, the, the next direction that the U.S. takes. And then he came up with, I must say, you know, the most mediocre speech, uh, which, which sort of didn't say anything really. And, um, and, uh, so, but, but it's with, with Trump, the, the Afghan, the current uh, government managed to persuade him 
for the to make sure that the American troops stay longer and that they don't leave Afghanistan. That that they say successfully, which is exactly the opposite of what he said he would do. Yeah, yeah. and you I see, like it when that happens. <laughs> I think that's that's kind of you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Never been a president. In Iran, they love Obama. And they hate Trump. Well, I think most of, not everybody, because Trump, obviously, Obama was for removing sanctions and Trump is for increase. So that's an obvious choice for Iranians. But for I think people who thought that, you know, they wanted someone who would be tough on terrorism, right? Uh, among Muslims, because there are many Muslims who actually want this. And, and you don't hear that, right? Uh, because it's not sort of an acceptable view. You're supposed to be all this, you're supposed to be an endangered species that is in need of protection all the time, right? And even, even, even though like it's the same community that also produces those who cause trouble, right? So obviously they sort of, they have yeah. the capacity. There's also, <laughs> there's also an element of, uh, I think, rhetoric versus actions. Like for instance, you know, Obama, in his rhetoric, he was very apologetic. He's like, no, Islam's a religion of peace. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to protect. But on the other hand, behind the scenes, like seven Muslim-majority countries were being bombed during him, which is more than any other president. And he had deported more illegal immigrants than any other president in history. On the other hand, and and same thing with Hillary, with neocon, all that. Then on the other hand, you have Donald Trump, and you know he's like, yeah, we have to fight against radical Islam, radical Islam, radical. And then he's going and sword dancing with the Saudis. That and was doing... the worst. That was the worst. Yeah. That so was... so there's this. Uh, there's also this element of it's not just a matter of who is uh, the, the toughest on terrorism. It's uh, it's a matter of who acts like they're the toughest on terrorism, whether they truly are or not. But but it's, that's it's, a, that's a I mean, it, it is unfair. You know? I think it's unfair to say that Obama was good on terrorism. I think no, no, I don't. I don't think he was I mean, good on terrorism. But what I'm mean, I mean, saying is, he was no different than um, any other Republican president. He wasn't that well, much different from he, Bush. I mean, he continued some of Bush policies, that's for sure. But he, he also a lot like, of them. A lot of them. Uh, when it comes to like the Arab Spring, I mean, I mean, the issues were different. The, the issues that Bush faced was like nine eleven, while what what Obama faced was the Arab Spring, uh, the post war Iraq. The Iranian Green Revolution, the Syrian Rebellion. There are so many things that Obama faced that are different than what Bush faced. So, and and his response to them, I would say, if Bush was in power or Mitt Romney was in power, would have been a completely different approach. Especially, I mean, for example, I mean, just to give uh, you an example, which is actually I very agree. relevant I, I don't during think the debate between Mitt Romney and Obama, the first, I think, the first or second one, two thousand twelve. And Romney was saying that Russia was a bigger threat, that they might hack our elections and, and things like that. And Obama said, no, no, Russia is not actually a threat, and you are still in the Cold War mentality and stuff. While Mitt Romney was like, Russia is a problem, Russia is a problem. So in fact, for example, Obama downplayed a lot of the Russian influence while and then he allowed them to do something in Syria. And that, you're right while yeah, I, I think that. it would have been a complete opposite if, let's say, John McCain, who is completely anti-Russia, or, or or Governor Romney would have been president. I mean, I, not, not, I just like, think it's like it, it would be a mistake to say that Obama and Bush were the same. I think that, I mean, they were like probably 20%. I, I, no, no, Fessa, I don't think they were the same. I, I don't think I don't think they were the same. I'm I'm just saying that I I don't necessarily think you can predict what another president would do in that situation. Like for instance, um, with uh, 
one thing for if it depends on what perspective you look at it with one thing obama did was he did more to make the us energy independent and that includes policies like fracking which democrats did not like the keystone pipeline which he supported uh, right so a lot of those things that, that he did he he's actually made the us energy and petroleum independent in a way that no other president had before so th- so th- it depends on right. which angle yes wanted to ask you a question from the beginning and she didn't get a chance well i just yeah. uh, sorry it's wanted to just bring it back to nishin's story and and her journey and her life because i'm i get really interested in in people and i think you guys are wanting to get deep bore down into political things today um, but I think a balance of both is like you need hummus and you need kebabs. Yeah, that's just... good. We balance it. <laughs> You've seen yeah. so much fun to talk point. politics with, though. But anyway, yeah. Yaz, I want to know the answer to Yaz's question, though. Too. So I have so. two questions, and I'm going to ask them both because I probably won't ever get a chance to speak again. So I might as well just get them both out. <laughs> My first question is: um, So where are you now, as uh, like in in your in your journey? So are you? I didn't actually hear the answer if you grew up Sunni or Shia, and I'm curious as to where you are now on that spectrum. Are you still a practicing Muslim or not, or a reformer, or where? Wh- what label should we tack onto your forehead? <laughs> and uh, my second question is, because you seem to have a lot of understanding um, of Muslims in Europe, a lot more than than any of us, so I wanted to ask you about this, uh, you know, Douglas Murray's impression of, of how things are going in Europe. And I wanted to know, you know, what, what your impression was of Europe these days. Like, do you, how do you think things are going? Okay, so, these are those very are good questions. questions. Yeah. So let me tell you uh, how I found out that I was here. That's a that's a funny story. Shia, she's Shia, <laughs> yes. Great. Outnumbered again. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Afghanistan where the Shia are a minority. And I was at yeah. school and I was one of those, you know, I was a, I was I was a, I was a kid always like I had the answers and I was I was a smart kid. And I was very involved and engaged. So my teacher, my religion teacher said, Who can show the class how to pray? And and eager me raises her hand. I can show, I can show, I can show. So I went to the front of the class. And oh my God, as soon as I started, there was uproar. It's wrong. It's wrong. She did it wrong. They were getting heart attacks. So my teacher <laughs> quick sends me back and, uh, you had your hands down because yeah, yes, she didn't tie her hands exactly, up. Exactly. Which, which, uh, so, and I said, um, I said, it's correct. I've seen my grandma pray like that. You, oh, yeah, and they oh, said, wow. yeah. yeah, so I brought in the authority of my grandma. They were freaked out, you know, like, they, God knows what they thought. I mean, they were really, really upset. So then the teacher called another girl and she, she prayed differently. And I realized, blimey, you know, I'm not, <laughs> something is wrong. <laughs> so I went home and I explained to my parents and they said, that's because you're sheer. So I said, uh, I said, so, so what, what's the deal with the hands, right? And I said, oh, it's because, you know, the Sunnis still hold on to the idols. Yeah, they used to the, hold on to the idol, hide idols under there, miniature idols. Oh my God, is that the stories you guys tell? That's the story. That's Jeez. You people are obsessed with Sunnis. Can I just tell you, can I just say that this is this is true for any demographic where there's like a majority powerful group and then a minority smaller group? Honestly, Sunnis don't even give Shias a second thought. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put we that out there care. right now. 
Like we barely ever think about Chia's at all. It seems like you guys think about Sunnis oh, and talk yeah, about okay, Sunnis well, all the time. On Twitter, they're gonna say we're still tribal. Yeah, like I didn't know anything about Chia's. We, I didn't no, even we did, actually. That's not it's true. Completely irrelevant. But I mean, because it's a minority, right? Because it's a minority. That's just the way it is. It's like Australia and New Zealand. But in Iran, right? they don't New care Zealanders about will get really upset and they'll be like, I'm a Kiwi, I'm not an Aussie. And they'll get really worked up about it. Whereas Australians, if you call them a New Zealander by accident, they're like, eh, whatever. No, I'm actually Australian. Like, you know what I mean? But this dismissive attitude was the same with, with Sunnis in Iran. Because maybe in places where Shia and Sunnis meet each other a lot, the, the accusations are a lot. But in Iran, they're like, yeah, yeah these idiot Sunnis, they, they don't know. Like, it's just something that you Because just, that's they, where you're the majority Shia. So the, yeah. the other part of Yaz's question, Nusheen, is... Uh, is uh, what about now? Are you going to be celebrating Eid Ghadir that's coming up uh, this this weekend? What about now? Or... So that's uh, the the thing is. Um... I mean, did you grow up religious? We didn't ask you this. Did, were your parents like actively Orthodox or something? No, no. My parents were like you know, I, they were. My father, um, he lost his faith. I told you that there was the story in the family that there were two things that triggered sort of. Uh, a uh, departure from religion. Uh, one was that, that the family was super, super strict. And I think when, when mi- minorities tend to become super, super strict because they are in a minority position. Um, oh, yeah. that, so the fear of losing culture becomes huge, just like we see here in the West with minorities. So they were very strict to the point that it sort of turned against religion. And uh, some people, they just needed a good explanation, right? Because education had arrived and people had this other alternative. They would go to school and see that there's this other way of looking at the world. So they would ask questions like, so why do we need to fast, right? And no one could give them answers. So religion had become this kind of a, a rigid set of rules without a spirit, right? So, you don't so ask questions. You like just that. follow, yeah. You just do it. So, and I think the reason for that is because they didn't have themselves a proper religious education. Uh, so they really didn't know how to answer the questions. Um, and that's for smart people, that's very unsatisfactory, of course, right? And that's actually what happened in Europe when with science came, people started asking questions and, and at some point religious religion kind of had lost its power. So do you remember when you lost your faith? I haven't lost my faith. You see, that's the thing. I I was thinking that I'm not so sure that leaving religion is the solution. And the reason for that is, obviously, you know, if you guys are atheists, so you believe in the evolution, obviously, right? Because, because you, you so, but when you look at the evolution, then you can see that, that like for a vast majority of the time, of course, most of human history, when you look at it from the perspective of the evolution, belief was very much part of human organization and human life, right? That's, yeah. that's the fact. And, and if you look, if you have this kind of historical perspective, then the arrival of science and the arrival of this, this very different way of looking at the world as the material sense, right? And, and, and separate from the subject and meaning. When, when, when the mountains are not imbued with meaning, let's say, right? Uh, that is very, very new. Faisal, Faisal is scared that I'm going to attack you. He's warning me not to attack you. Just, I'm not going to attack you. I'm just going to have two corrections. Atheism is not a belief in evolution. Atheism is just a lack of belief in God. Um, you, you know, even without evolution, you just, if you don't have an answer for something, you don't believe in it. If, just like you said, if you don't have answers, you don't believe in it. And another thing is that, 
just because something is common doesn't make it true, right? Like we also have, we naturally, we believe we're looking for patterns. So that's why something that might explain why people always look for explanations in nature. But we're also naturally violent. But, you know, we're also, you know, that doesn't mean. And that's every, okay. That's okay. Well, let's, let's just. I'm not, I'm not forcing anybody. We're secular to, jihadists. I, yeah, let every, I'm not, I'm not forcing atheism on anybody. I'm just, I'm just trying to. No, it's good. It's to correct. explain that to listen. This is a good contrast because what Nersheen is saying is that there is a, the relevance of uh, people believing in religion throughout history. And believing um, in something, people, right? Something that some gave sort meaning myth, to life. Right. That's, yeah, like, that's yeah, like there was Greek mythology, there was Nordic yeah. mythology, there's, you know, then later there was Judaism, there's Hinduism, there's, so, um, and on the other hand, that not, that doesn't necessarily make it true. No, no, and it just it's not about truth, it's not that. about truth, that's it. it's about, so the fact is that this is how we evolved, right? Right, like, This right. is how we evolved, and, and I don't think that you can get rid of it like that, let's say. You will need mm -hmm. to believe in something. I'm getting messages in the chat that so I'm not I'm I'm gonna hold myself back, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> so, but let me explain what I mean. That's okay. We, I mean, I think Nushin knows yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah. I can, no, I can explain to you what I mean. Different so, the diff so, my view of religion is that I don't believe that the that human beings are great as they are, right? That that we are perfect as we are. What I believe is that you have to improve yourself because. As I we that are, too. exactly. So then, then you, then you think so, you know, because you're aware that you're, we are not perfect because of obviously, uh, anyone who's a bit self-critical knows that a, a human being is like, you know, you have, we have all sorts of terrible emotions, right? There is envy, there is revenge, there is all sorts and, and violence and, Hatred and all this is, and, and of course evil, right? So that's something that, that, that rationality doesn't explain. Or the rationality explains it, but they say it's part of the circumstances that make people like so, that, right? So it's rational to say that it's from the devil. Not the devil, no, but it's in human nature, both good, good and evil, right? Being a good human being or, or being a bad human being, right? So to, to, to be aware of that and overcome that. Stop. Faisal's getting mad at me. Okay, Nushin, okay, we'll move on. It's Faisal, okay. Nushin is a big girl, okay? I don't think she's going to get upset if we disagree with no. her. She's, she's a tough it's person. It's fine, it's fine. So that's my yeah, Faisal, worry. It's fine, it's and fine. and <laughs> that, that if we believe we are perfect as we are, right? Then you, you're not going to try to, to, to be a better person, let's say. Oh, okay. Well, I just want to very quickly say that I, I don't believe in any fairy tales, but I always want to get uh, By better. the way, I also think that humanism is a religion, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's a not, belief not system, right? I'm a massive right? fan of it. No, no so. not, not, not everything is a belief system is a religion. But, um, but just... Yeah, read, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's just uh, change the subject. I'm just going to just... So. I, I don't think you heard me. Just, Nushin, if you, if you get a chance, read The Moral Landscape by Sam Harris. Yes, and you see, uh, again... People, I mean, I look at what happened in the West when people became atheists, right? Because here we have a good example, an example that has a long history where you can see what happens next when religion is removed. And what I see, frankly, is that ideology has taken the place of religion for those who have left behind religion. And then you have right. a whole host of new age religions, right, um, that, that, that have emerged uh, you know, people believe in witch, witches, sort of, there's this feminist kind of, uh, mother goddess religion, 
I mean, in any European city you go, you, you will see these shops where they sell crystals and they sell candles and knickknacks. And it is for this other religion where they worship, you know, the mother goddess. The fact She's is, also yeah, I, yeah. But, but what this shows is that the need to believe in something that is outside of this world hasn't disappeared. Right. So uh, can we go to the second? Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, finish uh, up with so, what you're saying. And, and we have had atheism for a long time in the West. And what we can see is that this need... All over the world. Yes, yeah. uh, but especially in the West where it became, you know, like they're allowed to be atheists and it's fine, right? They don't have social pressure to be Christian, for example. It's absolutely fine for them. Um, that the need didn't disappear and, and people are turning for alternative ways of reintroducing spirituality to their lives. Yoga is super um, popular, as you know, right? Meditation is super popular. Mindfulness meditation is super popular. So it's like it didn't disappear. It's resurfacing in, in the fragmented new age religions as well. So we, how Read do you account for that? spirituality without religion from by What, what uh, Nusheen is talking about actually Wait, aligns yeah. more with Yuval Noah Harari. Because he actually talks about all of these things as myths, like in the sense that communism is a religion, humanism yes. is a religion, liberalism I mean, is a, no. They, if, that, if everything that if is every, no, that is actually, I think the book that that Ali is talking about, no, Sapiens. You know, I don't uh, think I, I, I agree think with that, Ali. If, if you would if, love if, that. If your your criteria for what's a religion no, 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 is so I, low I that think, almost any any people any four people getting I together and agreeing with something old. Religion is something religion. that has potential for dogma. That's my whole thing. If you have a, the, religion, is a subcategory of dogma. Right. Exactly. All right. Never mind. Oh my God! I just want to ask this. I just want to follow up with the question that I don't know if you listen to uh, Sam Harris. Is if you listen to Sam Harris, uh, Douglas, are you familiar with Douglas Murray Nishin by any chance? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think you probably because Indian also have. Uh, yeah, so you, have you read his latest book, the one about Europe? And uh, yes, I think it's called The End of Strange yes. Death of Europe. Yes, so, yes, the, and you see, he, he mentions that exactly. That, yeah, yeah, that, so, so what do you think, what do you think, I mean, what do you think of the conclusion of the book, that that Europe is going to a very, like, terrible direction? Yes, absolutely. I agree, and it has to do, as he mentions it, with the crisis of meaninglessness, right? Because people... Um, in order, I mean, the other, I was listening to the, the other podcasts that came before you speak to me, guys, and, and I heard the, the, the very sort of correct complaint that people don't side with liberals from the Muslim world, right? The people who should side with the liberals from the Muslim world don't side with them. And I was thinking the reason why they don't do it is because they, they don't have, they, because they, are, they don't believe in God, let's say, right? So their values are relative. Their values are relative. They say all values are the same. And how do I know that this value system is better than that value system? Since all value systems are the same. Relativism. Right? Relativism, which, which is yeah. in a world where there is no God, right? And it's all human-made. It's no, all human-made. No. And, yeah, and, that's, and, that's not mixed up plain a bit. Because I, I've read, I mean, Douglas Murray's argument, I think, is that atheism without kind of a, a code, a system of code of moral ethics would kind of lead to a sense of moral relativism that many people in the West right now 
who are atheists. I mean, yes, you as Armin as a dogmatic atheist who write, writes about atheism 24-7, oh, right. you that's, have more that's of all a... bullshit, okay? That's not <laughs> no, me. That's you have not more like... There's, always, there's so many you statistics talked about, like, that the moral show landscape. that atheists are not less moral than... Um, no, fact, no, no, it's not, this is not the argument. The argument is not actually this. The, so, like, Sam Harris made the argument of the moral landscape that people can have morality without religion and, and you can have a scientifically uh, designed or intellectual, uh, intelligent design morality. But what happened is that, that, I mean, the argument of Douglas Murray, which I don't solely agree with, but, but it's, it's, it's a very interesting argument to, to, to understand, is that because of lack of religion, or because of, and that kind of led to sense of moral relativism, not lack of morality, but moral relativism, now when they are faced with a new threat of Islamic extremism, or, or a new uh, that's, migration that's from Islam. That's absolute bullshit, because people with religion, they, they are more moral relativists, and they just use their relative morality and say, well, God agrees with me, and every single one of them just use their God authority to just well, use they, it, they, to they, give authority I agree with Armin. I actually I, give authority I disagree to their with, relative uh, morality. Can I tell you something and, to illustrate what Maury was saying? Because he was interested in, in Western converts, right? He was interested in Western converts and what made them convert to Islam. And what he, um, guys, you're frozen, apart from Yasmin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what oh, he. We can hear you. Yeah. Bro. So what, what he found out speaking to these people was that they, they reached their thirties and, and their life is one where, you know, it's, it's, they, they, they go out, they enjoy themselves, they go clubbing, they have their job, etc. But like one night in the nightclub, they think, well, is this all? Is this what life is supposed to be about? And they feel this emptiness, right? No, they don't. No, they don't, though. Don't they, they, they don't. Most of the most people without God, they look for meaning in life. And they guess what? They find it. In fact, it's easier to find meaning in life without God. Yeah, because you just, don't have to. Armin, she's just explaining Douglas Murray's thing. I don't agree the with him either, The ones who turned to Islam, this was so. the path. So this was what, what happened to them. And, and I do think that a weakness of the West, a weakness that the Islamists correctly identified, um, is decide that they don't know who they are, right? They really don't know what their values are and who they are and what they stand up for, right? And it is from this moral confusion that they can't decide so which ones among the people in the Muslim world should we support, right? If they if they knew exactly who they are, if they were grounded, they would have been able to say, okay, the liberals are the ones who share our worldview. We are not ashamed of it. We stand by it. We are proud of it, and we are going to support them. The reason, precisely, that that they don't have this ability and waver and go back and forth and often, often, often end up siding with ultra religious people, right, is precisely because it's so confusing not to have a proper value system. I like the way Faisal puts it. He says that they're just boring, they wear shorts, and they eat chicken nuggets, and they're looking for something exotic and fun. Go ahead, Armin. Yeah, I mean, especially, especially that the has implication been... that they don't have a value system, that's I a just problem. want to respond to that really quickly. I just think that a crisis of meaning is something natural that always happens in many people's lives. And it will happen with Islam, with Christianity, without Islam, without Christianity, whether you're an atheist or not. We will all, you go through the times less that you don't know if you're going to the right direction. We all have that. What Islam does and what Christianity does is take advantage of those nice. moments and try to fill it with this 
try to identify this natural thing that happens as a disease and try to use that moment to give you something to make to make soldiers out of you for their for their cause right so yes and no you see again i don't believe that religion is a conspiracy a conspiracy you can't hold on for centuries right it's not a conspiracy it's a meme it's a meme it doesn't have to have this genius people without in the in background being like <laughs> we're taking advantage of people memes work without having these conspiracies so, people okay, behind okay, the guys, can i give you an example right again so because without examples i can't illustrate what i mean because you know it's hard no, this um, is great yeah so let me give you an illust- uh, illustrate my grandfather um he lost his wife and all of his children to disease which 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 kind of would traumatize anyone right like to have this kind of mass death and he started again he got another family he got married he had children he had the second family and and struggled through life and i don't know about the rest of the people who you know came out as a result of that decision to hold on to life despite despite this enormous tragedy uh, i'm one of the results right and i think that the kind of despair he would have with, without believing that there is something there i don't think he could have he could have carried on with life right this is like all these ants sorry your aunt with a 3 year old aunt Ali will tell you a story after you're done. But he has a very yeah, similar yeah, story. My, we don't uh, know th- that. We a... don't know that because religion has taken the monopoly over providing people with this grief t- moments and these providing meaning and providing counsel. And guess what? These people with these religious authority have no understanding of how human psychology works or how, 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 where these feelings come from. And they are the least people that we should go to for, for providing us with so meaning and understanding and providing with comfort. People themselves, no, but people the, the thing is that if religion that did, didn't have this monopoly, if they didn't have this much government support, I'm pretty sure by now we would have figured out much better ways to address these. Uh, again, you know, knowing okay, where these feelings from, knowing where they come from, doesn't help you with grief, right? Because it you does. Have, actually, does because feelings and emotions are not but it does, spiritual it does things. For, these are things that are happening people. in your brain. If you do understand the mind, if you understand the brain, you are going to be able to Armin, come up with better if answers. I, can just, I want to interject yeah, for a moment yeah. here because I am a like-minded, you know, atheist, anti-theist as well. And I want to tell you that when I lost my best friend, for a moment, I was in so much turmoil. I was in so sad and I was in so much grief that in order to appease myself, I would just for a moment, I would tell myself, you know what? Maybe it is true. Maybe it is true that she's in heaven and I'm going to meet her there. And then it'll be okay because then I can hug her again. And I would tell myself these things, even I knew they were complete lies, but I would tell myself these things because I was like healing myself. And it was just the thought of knowing that my friend, my friend Tiffany was also an atheist. If she knew that I was telling myself these things, she'd probably be like, stop being so stupid. So that's what made me stop doing it. But it was so comforting. And I understand what, what about Nusheen's grandfather and, and Ali's And when aunt. I lost my mom, when I lost my mom, you know what I found comforting? The fact that she wasn't in hell. 
Yes, everybody is different. My You're mom absolutely died correct. as an atheist, and friend, guess what? The religion doesn't come up with too. carrots only. They come up with carrots because they have a stick. The stick is I the don't point of their religion. With you. I don't disagree with you. But what I'm saying, what I'm agreeing with Nusheen when she's saying there's a there's a point where it's so emotional that the rational is insignificant. Of course, you don't blame people for their irrationality, but you also point out that it's irrational. And, and not necessarily. You know, like, but, no, but, but, yeah, you do. You do. Because at the end of the day, you don't, when people are emotional and irrational, you don't blame them for that. And if whatever comfort they're seeking in, you give it to them. But at the end of the day, on a net basis, a society moves forward better with rational solution than emotional one. And I, I'm, I'm okay with people being vegans, even though I personally don't want to be a vegan. Like we could just let people live. The way they want okay, to live uh, guys, hold on just a second. Just because we know we're yeah, not going to solve don't the ever, religious don't say controversy. Let people because in this. telling people something is rational, irrational is not guys, forcing them to stop no, believing. No, guys, we're not, so can, we're, I'm we're not, always I'm not condoning Nushin, that. Nusheen, can you have the last word? You're going to have the last word. I know there's going to be counter arguments. Everybody, this is because we're at uh, we're over an hour and 30 minutes. So I just want to have our guests, let our guests have the last word. And whether we disagree or not, that's that's your thing. Question one, I would say I'm not going to, I'm not for throwing away religion, but I'm very much for reforming it. So that's the, the one thing, because I do think that, uh, you know, it's easy for us people in the West, life, the life that we live, it's easy to, to do without. Until some moment when you, when you discover that you have cancer and etc., then it's very different. But, but it is possible to live in the West and think you don't need anything higher. For, for a long time until some big catastrophe hits, then it really becomes a difficult, as something else. Uh, so I am for reform. As to Europe, well, I was in Hamburg when 9-11 was plotted, right? Uh, so, so I, I, I had, I met those students, not the ones who carried it out, but, but people in their circle. And, and it appeared to me, um, that, that again, it was a similar thing, you know, like one of them was working in a building for rich people and he was a student as well. And, and, and he, um, he was cleaning the, the trash cans there and, and he became radicalized. Like he became super religious from being a playboy initially. And he was saying that what frightened him was there was never anything in the trash cans that these people were so wealthy, but, but they had like no life. There was no life in their apartments. They were like empty apartments. They go to work, they come, um, they don't cook, they don't have families, nothing. That, that was something that really frightened him and, and made him then, of course, then what, what happens next is they, when they go to mosque in search of, a, let's say, an answer for the meaning of life, unfortunately, the mosques are hijacked by the Salafis. So what they get is then a, a rigid political ideology. So that that's my understanding. But where they go there in search of meaning because the West is super confusing. And and right now they themselves don't know who they are, where they're going, what their mission is in the world, right? They have no idea. They and they can't say a lot of things. They've created so many taboos. And the fact that it's the left that has created taboos, which is a you know, like superstition, right? The taboos are superstition and the left is the, the, the party that the hard left has taboos. It excommunicates. It has a battle between good and evil, right? And they are the good, the evil or whatever, uh, anyone who's not like them. 
and that they're so detached from reality that someone like Dave Rubin, my goodness, if they think he is a Nazi sympathizer, that's so detached from reality. Me too. I was also named a Nazi by a German newspaper along with along with Rubin. My friends, me and Faisal too, actually. That's your atheism (laughs) that didn't lead to rationality. You see? What happened was that people didn't become people didn't become more rational. Their irrationality comes right, because out because religious people are so rational. No, they're not. Right? They're not either. They're not either. That's what I'm saying. I don't say okay. that religious people are rational. What I'm saying is that the form it, it it's unfortunately unfortunately because you're both rational and irrational. Then that is our condition as human beings. Mm-hmm. When we leave religion, we don't necessarily leave behind irrationality it's still there but it comes out in very weird places right that the most rational of people the hard left are the ones who have blasphemy and 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 that's why they actually sympathize with with islamophobia ideas right because that's blasphemy there are many things you can't say they focus on your language and they listen very carefully and one wrong word right it's like praying wrong when you pray and you pronounce one word wrong, woo, you, you blaspheme. It's very similar, right? It's like, oh, you I said that word. Yes, but, but they didn't become mm-hmm. rational, right? They excommunicate and, and they have new taboos, taboos where it's, it's quite extraordinary. Like minorities, you can't talk about them. That's a big taboo, for example. Um, so they, in a way, that's the funny thing that the best evidence, like, what happens when people leave religion that they don't necessarily become rational is, well, the left, which left religion and they haven't become rational. I'm afraid and it's a fact. So then you have to say, how do you I account for this irrationality, right? Because they should be super rational. Faisal is, not, Faisal is right. not letting us respond. We have so much to say. Okay, guys. Uh, right. no, 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 no. I'm I not going to what either. You're saying, and I, I, and just I agree wanna... with what you're saying. And in fact, an example of that is when they when they say you can't say colored people, but you can say people of color. Yeah, or something like this is bizarre. It's much closer to superstition, right? Yeah. Uh, my, my last question, I mean, my last question is, uh, how can people, are you planning to write another book? Uh, and how can people follow you on social media or if you have a website? Yeah, I'm not very active on Twitter. And that's because it, it takes so much time, right? And you have all these trolls. And, and before you know, you spend an hour telling people, no, I'm not a Nazi. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, it's a waste of time. That's you something know. we can all <laughs> relate to. A Zionist Nazi. Or whatever yeah, they come yeah, up with, right? right? So I don't have the time for that. If I have a message, it is that that we share the same the same kind of concern that we have entered an age where you have no idea what's going on. And that's shared across the board, whether you're conservative, whether you're left-wing, whether you're liberal, whether you're a believer Muslim. Also, that's what we share, right? That the, the fear, what is going on in this world, and, and that we can't figure out. And I think that um, we all need to be aware of our blind spots. And, and try to take that into account. And we all need to communicate more. So for the people on the left, for example, you know, this, they're stuck in the past. Capitalism is not the worst system in the world. We know that because we have seen communism being implemented and fail again and again. So they care for the poor, find them and take care of them, right? That's 
that's how they should upgrade their system. Um, they they care for the oppressed. But the left is not a representative of atheism. Um, but but basically, you know, their mission that they care of those who are neglected. That's a great mission. But I think they are stuck in an outdated system. Um, right, which is formulaic. I think they are too. Yeah. As are religious people. With the nationalist, ethnic, ethnic nationalists, like, you have to accept that we live in multicultural societies and this is the new reality. And you have to find a way to live with it. And I would say the Muslim, conservative Muslims share a lot more with their values than they do with liberals, right? They, they believe in family. They believe in religion. Uh, the role of women is at home. Like, like, can't you see these are your allies, right? So they can get something out of multiculturalism, actually, if they also update their system and, and take that into account. Um, because they tend to just see kind of in, in, in immigrants, mostly they tend to see a problem, right? And that makes it harder for us to engage with them. So, so I'm, I, the lesson I learned was that moderation, communication, dialogue. That, that's, that's what I learned from life. And, uh, and I think all of us need that. No one has a monopoly over truth. We have one slice of truth and that is truth. Like eight years of one slice of truth. That is truth. But the reality is way more complex. And you, 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 you reach it only when you speak. Anyway, Nushin, thank you so much. Before, before this becomes another, there is going to be the, the whole, uh, the, there's a war and all of this stuff is going to begin before all that stuff starts on this podcast right now, because we're not going to solve these uh, issues. And, you know, obviously we have disagreements, but I think the stuff that uh, you've said towards the end, all of us can align on. So, um, and I agree with your point at the end. And as, as you said, we need to argue these things and talk about these things more, not, not less. Not less, yeah. Right, so. so I, I think this was awesome. <laughs> freedom of speech, I wish... freedom of speech at any cost. No, no, I, I wish we could uh, keep going for another hour, but uh, we can't. So, but thank you so much for coming much on. This was guys. so much fun. I very much enjoyed lots it. Lots and lots of fun. And we will link to your, we will link to your book as well as your Twitter, even though you don't use Twitter yeah. much on the description when we... That would be kind. And I look forward to staying in touch with you guys. My main thing yes, was I wanted sure. to get to know you guys. So that was a good excuse. Yeah. It oh, was great good. meeting you. Same here. Yeah, very Take care. Sweet. And hope to see you and hope to see you as well sometime next next time. You live up to your name, Nishi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know, uh, that miracle or something. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Have a, have a great okay thank you guys <laughs> have a great yeah. evening okay. bye, bye. 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 bye the secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the gracious support of the illuminati and the great state of israel that's what we have been told but we haven't received our checks yet in the meantime we greatly appreciate the support of our current donors please consider supporting by sharing the podcast with your fellow heathens or by donating at patreon.com sjme 